Real 90 presents Real Talk, where we talk with the people involved with the 90s movies that we've discussed. This is episode one of Real Talk. Our host, Ricky Glor, talks with Kevin Eastman, co-creator of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Hi, this is Kevin. Hi, Kevin. This is Ricky Glor from Real 90 Podcast. Awesome. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How about yourself, sir? I'm doing just awesome. Thanks. I want to thank you for being a part of our episode six was the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. Oh, awesome. Well, that's so cool. And during the episode, a big running gag was, where do the turtles get their money? <laughs> you know, that's like, um, it's, it is the um, probably singularly most asked question. I mean, it actually comes up, you know, we do uh, we do a lot of shows, a lot of conventions, and mm-hmm. And I do a lot of interviews for stuff, but it is, it's one of those things that comes up for shows, you know, when they're buying pizza, they do their stuff, everybody goes, well, when do they get their money? <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's, uh, the one of our co-hosts, Eric Hunter, actually had the pleasure of meeting you at Indie PopCon and asked you and was able to get your response, and it was hilarious, so I thank you for that as well. <laughs> you said it was on par with the question that's asked the most of, do the turtles have sex with April? Which was not a question I would have ever thought of. <laughs> that's a, yeah, that's another part because they because there's always that you know that that tension and that question out there and you know I think you know when you're talking about anime characters or other you know other superhero genre characters and stuff like that they always people always say well are those two sleeping together <laughs> <laughs> what's the deal here but we always you know that you're right it's like we always try to keep it you know that family relationship of she's the you know she's the sister and you know even though right now you know be gonna be a crusher or that that kind of thing because well and it's a great it's a great gateway for fans to have a, a female protagonist that they can relate with you know before there was venus mm-hmm. or the turtles um yeah i this is a question that i know i've heard you answer but i love the story because daredevil is one of my favorite characters as well in superhero fandom is can you please elaborate on the origin of the canister also mutating Daredevil and the Turtles. Oh, for sure. No, I love it because it is, you know, we, you know, when we, when Peter and I started um, coming up with the story for the first issue, um, you know, the, the first issue of the Turtles, we did it, it was designed as a one shot, you know, beginning, middle, and end because we were quite positive we wouldn't sell any copies of it. It was just something we did for ourselves. We So we put all of our fun things and our little favorite character things and the things we loved about a variety of different comic books. Um, you know, Teenage Mutants, which, you know, the New Mutants were really popular at the time. Uh, animal characters from everything from, you know, Jack Kirby's Commandy, which was a big influence to me. The first movie I ever saw in the theater was Planet of the Apes, so I love Commandy as a character with all the mutant characters running around. Of course, Dave Sims, Cerebus character, where, you know, all the early issues of Cerebus are drawn like, you know, Barry Windsor Smith uh, with this little art bar character running around acting like Conan. Um, and so when we started piecing you know, the, the idea of the characters. It was everything from, say, the names, for example, is, uh, you know, traditional Asian names. Well, that's not funny because the the, the context is absurd. Um, American names, well, that's not funny enough. And I was a big art history fan, so I mentioned about Leonardo and, like, Michelangelo. And that's where that came from. And and so with the story, I was a huge, I mean, did a little, fan. I mean, I was reading it when Bob Brown was drawing it and Gene Colan was drawing it, and I, you know, uh, right around the time that I remember quite clearly um, Daredevil 158 when they introduced this new 
penciler, Roger McKenzie was writing it, and they introduced a new penciler, Frank Miller, um, and it was like, wow, hey, this guy's pretty good, and then, like the rest of the world, we were completely blown away for the next, what, 30-plus issues, mm-hmm. um, um, but it was, you know, General was, again, one of my all-time favorite characters, so when we were talking about the origin story, I said to Pete, so... You know, you know the the thing where you know, Garrett, you know Garrett, um, young Matt Murdock saves the blind guy walking across the street, and this truck is carrying you know uh, radioactive waste through the city, and this street just you know locks up its brakes, and the canister comes loose and hits Matt, young Matt Murdock in the eyes. Well, they never said what happened to the canister after it hit him <laughs> in the head. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, and he said, "That's funny. Like, let's have it continue bossing down the street." And it was, you know, that would be the ooze that then you know all, all the turtles. With that poor young boy named Chet was standing precariously close to a open sewer drain with a terrarium with four turtles. <laughs> it's so cool because it feels like something that a nerd with fan fiction would have done years later if you hadn't already have done it. Like it's so cool to tie in all the worlds. Totally, and that was you know, and even when we was you know, because again, what Frank Miller introduced was, uh, of course, uh, Elector as a character, and then that whole storyline with the. Uh, with the with the hand, and uh, uh, we brought in his mentor, uh, Stick. Um, you know, so Stick, uh, Splinter, um, mm-hmm. the hand. Uh, we have the foot. Um, so <laughs> just, we definitely put in uh, some of our favorite bits, and we try to keep it uh, uh, just on the outskirts of probably being legally dangerous. <laughs> well, you can say you can say to get around that and skirt the issue. It's an homage. It's for a love and a passion. And it, you know, and that's what I do say, you know, and I you know, when people ask, you know, about the first issue and what we're doing, we we really did we put everything into it as, you know, it was quite I guess simply our, our love poem to the uh, comics that we grew up on, the genres of you know, the movies that you know, that kind of stuff that we grew up on it was very much a big influence on on it and was done with, with heart and soul and respect to the things that influenced the things that made us, you know, both Pete and I pick up the pencil and want to draw comic books and become, you know, comic book artists, writers, if you will, and, and uh, that was that was the dream. So we, we really did pay homage to respects to a you know, an medium and you know, a medium and an industry we loved very much. Do you remember the? Uh, I, I drew a lot when I was younger. Do you remember the first superhero that you recreated off of looking off of a drawing or from a comic? You know, it was yes. It was actually there was. Um, I drew a lot of Daredevil. Um, I still actually, weirdly enough, I still have all of them. My mother was, uh, you know, she saved everything when I was younger, um, and you know, I got, I got it years later, and I still have everything that I was doing when I was a kid. Uh, I did I did when I was a kid, but there was. Um, uh, a lot of Daredevils. There was Iron Man. Uh, Captain America was a huge. Um, uh, I was a huge fan of Captain America. Um, you know, there was some Hulk Avengers. Um, but when I got into um, Jack Kirby, especially around that time that he went to DC Comics and started doing, you know, you know, Commandy, of course, and the, you know, Demon and Forever People and Mister Miracle and all that stuff. I, I have lots and lots and lots of. Uh, Jack Kirby drawings that I traced. <laughs> trying, to <figure> <laughs> trying to figure out how to draw. So. Um, but yeah, it was uh, um, it was fun. I can, you know, this, I can't think of one specific, but I, if I had to pick one, I say you know I know I've got you know a small stack of double drawings um, in a binder here in the house that I. Is there any way we could? Is there any way we could get a scan of that to put with this uh, interview of one of your daredevils? Yeah, I, yes. You know, if you send me a reminder, um, I'll, I'll 
it, it may take you know I'll, I'll try to take it out as quickly as I can um, sure but it's um, but yeah, <laughs> yeah that's awesome I, I loved I would love to see especially your style of uh, a young version of your drawings of Daredevil to go with it's it's horrific um, <laughs> but, um, your horrific I'm sure is gold compared to others <laughs> The changing of the uh, the turtle's mask from all being red to each av- each having an individual color, as far as art goes, to me, Leonardo and Donatello wearing the cool colors of blue and purple against Michelangelo and Raphael wearing the warm, aggressive colors of orange and red, was this specifically done to match their personalities? Uh, yes, yes, in, in many, many ways. It was actually, we were, um, uh, development process was at the, um, we were probably at the very early stages of meeting with the animation companies that were going to be working on the turtles. Um, actually, we met with uh, Playmates Toys, toy company first, and then the animation companies, both kind of simultaneously. And they said, you know, well, how do you tell them apart? And we said, well, mostly it's the weapons. And I was, you know, I'm the idiot that did the first turtle painting, and I painted all the bandanas red because it just seemed like, well, they should all be red. Mm-hmm. And we figured that the personalities, the weapons, can tell them apart. And they basically said, "Well, for a, a toy or an animated show, we got to sell toy. more." <laughs> yeah, we, we have to sell more, but it's also you know they were like, "So how can you, how can we make them a little bit more individual so we can tell them apart a little bit more easily?" Um, and Pete was the one that actually came up with the idea, and he said, "Well, how about different colored bandanas?" Um, and that quickly evolved into you know, uh, you know, blue being. Uh, a bit more royal or regal, if you will, and so you know the leader type, uh, samurai sword, uh, kind of that. It just seemed to fit him very well. Raphael mm-hmm. was easy because you know, keep the original red bandana, which you know rage and passion and all of this, um, you know, inner turmoil, if you will. And orange is just a naturally silly color um, <laughs> felt, and and so Michelangelo seemed to fit the bill there um, quite easily. And then Donatello was. It was we always imagined him more of a a monk like character with a bow staff and everything. So purple seemed to be a more calming, peaceful sort of uh, I guess peaceful color, and it just naturally fit his personality the way we developed it. So yeah, that that came out of one of the toy toy meeting and animation meeting sessions. But that's a great development from an outside perspective. With all of the movies that have now been made, including the new one. I know for us at Rail 90, we love the original Turtles movie. It, some of us hadn't seen it in years since we were kids, and a couple of us actually liked it more now, and it held up better than so many different 90s movies, even though there is an 89-1990 influence feeling to it. But which one of all the Turtle movies that have been made is your favorite? Well, you know, it's, it's you know without being you know politically correct or anything, I love them all. Um, for each individual thing that it was, but by hands down, um, without a, a second guess, it would be the first Turtle movie. It was, um, you know, it was, a, again, a perfect storm of, you know, the amazing Steve Barron coming on board um, to direct it, and he'd already picked out, you know, he had the, you know, the, the, the 600-page massive collection of uh, original stories, Turtle stories that Peter and I did um, when he came to us at the meeting, and he had postmarked, and he said, here's our story. It's, Turtles 1, Leonardo, issues uh, 10 and 11. That's all the components are there for the structure of the story. Um, he then brought in uh, the amazing Todd Langdon, who had been working on the Wonder Years, and, and um, that's some really uh, great character writing 
in development. And then most importantly, um, he was good friends with uh, Jim Henson and Brian Henson, having worked on you know the Storyteller episodes and some other things that he'd done. And so he's the one that brought the whole thing together um, and steered the ship. And we, the minute we met him, he's just you know I can't say enough nice things about Steve as a, not only as a human being but also as a a uh, great creative director. He he pulled that movie together. To he said, I want to pay as much respect to the original series um, as I can, because uh, that's kind of the heart and soul. But I also know, you know, there's a, the, the animation characterization that you know he found really engaging and funny, and he liked a lot of elements out of that. So he wanted to make a movie that was great for all ages, you know, uh, uh, original fans and the new fans alike. Um, and I guess. I got to see it with Steve, um, I think it was three years ago, maybe possibly four, but it was, um, they opened the Tribeca Film Festival um, with a, a screening of the first Turtle movie, and they did this one of those massive blow-up screens, and there was like 3,000 fans there, and we got to watch the movie again, and neither of us had seen it on the big screen since, um, you know, since when it came out, since when it came out. But we were sitting there watching it, and he's like, you know, he said, I don't want to, I hope you don't take this wrong, but this holds up really well. And I, said, no, I, was thinking, I was thinking the same thing. He said, you know, the, the lighting was great. The action was really was really great. You know, the technology that you know Jim Henson literally created um, to make the turtles come alive was, you know, cutting edge at the time. I think half the stuff he did was patented. And, uh, um, but, yeah, I know it, we were like, well, this holds up really well. Well, and for my money, and it's something that I've discussed on a lot of our different episodes that have special effects, Practical effects, you can't beat them. Jim Henson's work, I think, beats any form of CGI because you can see the texture, you can look and touch it, and it's just amazing that that still, for me, and I think a lot of people, holds up so well. No, you know, and thank you, first, and, and I agree that, and so I do remember that, you know, Peter and I went down to the, um, Peter and I went down to the uh, set in Wilmington, North Carolina, when they were shooting shooting movie one, and we had seen all the development stages. Um, the, the creature shop was sending us through to approval various sculptures and, and you know, videotapes of, of, of some of the tests of the mechanics of the mouth and the face working and all that stuff. And, but we had yet to see them fully realized, and I remember clearly, you know, walking from the front office to the back lot where they were, you know, night shooting and sort of coming around this corner. Because, you know, you had no back lot and the whole back of the back lot looks like staging like construction and it looks crazy but you can then come around the front of it and there's New York City the lights and all its glory and, and then you know there's scores of people running around and the directors doing this and lighting that and we came around another corner and there's all four turtles fully dressed and Michelangelo is wearing a sombrero and he's doing this little <laughs> mariachi dance and, and we just saw getting attracted and was like oh my god they're <laughs> there they are they're real in full life and this is you know we, we just it was, you know, I still get goosebumps when I think of it because it was really. Um... It's Frankenstein's monster. You got to see it from the page, from the conception, to actually standing there in front of you. That is crazy. It is crazy, and that's exactly well put. Well put. That's exactly what we felt. For a fan question, I just have a couple more for you before we let you go. Um, this is a written-in fan question. Has there ever been any talk about making a Mighty Mutanimals movie? Well, you know, it's a, um, it, it, it's a great question because it is um, one of the things that started early on with the, um, even when we were doing the, uh, the early role-playing games that we developed lots of other mutant characters for the role-playing games and we've always included them in 
not only the original Mariah series, but also the animation show and the Oxy series, which was really fun, which is where the Mighty Me channels came from. But we've been slowly um, threading all of those characters, um, our favorite characters, not all, you know, whether it be, you know, the awesome Cyril Neely putting different, you know, uh, characters from the past, like, you know, some of the Mighty Me Animals characters into the animation series, but we've been putting a lot of those kinds of characters um, into the, the, the IDW series. And, uh, man, it's just, it's such a goldmine of, you know, when we when we think of, like, you know, 30 years of material we can pick and choose characters <laughs> from, as, as well as come up with some new ones. But I think you'll definitely see more... Um, more Mutanimals-like characters. I don't know if they'll do a Mutanimals movie, but man, that would be, uh, that would be something that works. I mean, you got all the Avengers, you got the Marvel, boom. You got a team movie right there that would just kill. It would appease so many people that are fans of the Turtles and who don't even know about them. I think you'd get it. For the final question before we let you go, as I told you, Real 90, what we do for our podcast, we would like to ask you for our upcoming episode, what 90s movie from 1990 to 1999 would you like to see us watch or make us watch? Oh, let me see. Um, I've got so many options. Actually, you know, I think that was an 80s movie. One of my favorite movies and, and directly related to uh, the Turtles is uh, Big Trouble in Little China. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, because Big Trouble in Little China, I think what John Carpenter did with that movie was was so cutting edge. It's like he was, you know, doing, you know, really pulling off the martial arts and, and that kind of stuff that hadn't really been shown in a in a, in a showcase. But um, I, Peter and I had already created Casey Jones, and he's part of the Turtle, um, the Turtle um, the family, if you will. Um, but after seeing Big Trouble in Little China, I always wrote Casey Jones with Jack Burt in mind oh yeah and kurt russell was clearly doing uh, a send-off of john wayne as well and you can tell that in casey jones yeah totally <laughs> and that's you know, that's exactly it, especially in the, you know again in the original series so that's like um let me see. Unfortunately, yeah, that was 1986, and I just rewatched that one again after not seeing it for a while, and it oddly still holds up for me. Like I love Carpenter's uh, stylized vision, and no matter what he's doing. Yeah, man, he just really, he just, he was the shit. It was really, um... it's a comic book. Like it's so cool to see something that you would only see like in cartoons done with practical effects and on the big screen. Yeah, done. Um, let me see. Uh, so many favorite movies. When did the Fifth Element come out? Uh, we actually, the Fifth Element was an episode we have already done. Uh, that was a pick. It's hilarious that you have you've tapped in. It Fifth Element was our episode nine, so three episodes after we did Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh, I love it. That was the that that truly was the. Uh, it was one of those because it was you know um, when they did the first heavy metal movie. It was. Um, very clear that uh, Luc Besson was was you know paying not only respect to um, you know, the, the French artists and some of the French creators, you know, uh, Mobius and and Belial and all that stuff that uh, um, inspired a lot of the heavy metal stuff. But it was uh, um, you know clear that it was you know he was, he you know he had heavy metal in mind with oh, Perry, yeah. Canyon, Perry Canyon from the. Uh, um, the world in general, a lot of aspects of that movie, I think, are paying homage to uh, heavy metal. How about, um, let me see, I'm trying to reach here. Um, 
I have my go-to movie. Was, you know, it's like I have my Blade Runners, I have my Aliens, my oh, um, you know that kind of stuff. When did when did Galaxy Quest come out? Have you guys done Galaxy? We Quest? have not, and that is one of my favorite movies of all time. Came out ninety nine, so you get it right on the cusp. Oh, I love it! I love it! And I have the—I literally have the funniest story to go with that, real quickly. Um, sure. Um, it, no, it's just a uh, <laughs> my my good and dear friend uh, Simon Bisley. He's he's literally the godfather of our son um, Shane. <clears throat> but I've worked with Simon for so many years, so I get this call from Simon one day, and he goes, he goes, "Hey, uh, do you know a guy named Stanley Winston?" And I said, <laughs> I said, Stan, Stan Winston, like in Hollywood, like Jurassic Park and Alien. He said, I mean, just, yeah, he's a fucking legend. And he goes, well, he goes, well, he called me and he wants to, he wants me to do some designs for this movie. And I think it's kind of sounds kind of stupid. And I oh. said, well, what is it? And he goes, um, he goes, well, it's like these, these Star Trek like actors, um, had been watched by this alien race. Um, and they thought they were, you know, like real history things and not, you know, they didn't understand they were TV shows, and so they built their whole world around this show, um, the Star Trek-like show, and now they're being, you know, attacked by this really, you know, evil, nasty bad guy, and, and they come and get the actors to go help them fight. <laughs> I was like, I'm like, dude, that sounds awesome. Oh, it's a better, it's a story. When I, I actually just watched this recently as well, but I can't wait to do this for an episode. But it's better than some of the, to me, it's better than the first Star Trek, the motion picture movie. As far as the action and the story goes, I mean, I literally have. Um, I've got my um, my uh, um, uh, my my sculpture, my uh, um, uh, replica toy of uh, the protector. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> it's like literally sitting in my studio here. The N the N S E A protector. Um, mm-hmm. I got that, and I've got the, the pistol. Uh, what's it called? Um, like the phaser, like thing they had. But yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, but no, I, and I said, dude, you should absolutely do it. And if you look at it, the so Simon did, you know, he was one of a bunch of artists that did sketches for, you know, the main bad guy. He did the squid creatures. He did the little rock guy, uh, the rock guy. He did the little blue, uh, little blue guys and stuff. But man, Tim Allen was spot on. Sam, um, uh, Sam, uh, oh, what was it? Uh, Sam, uh, why can't I think of his last name? Sam Rockwell. Oh, was, yeah. Sam Rockwell is fantastic. And you know, one of Sam's, uh, first um, speaking roles was in Turtles number one. Yes, and that is someone we 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 highlighted on our show. We all knew we're like that little kid is a Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. Sam Rockwell, like he he lights up no matter what he's playing. And uh, to to let you go, but Alan Rickman is fantastic. I, anything with Alan Rickman by Brockhouse Hammer. You know he was you know. You know <laughs> Even even that even the, the that really I call it semi stupid um, Robin Hood movie that Kevin Costner did. Um, Sam, I mean, uh, uh, Alan Rickman was by far the, the, the standout. Yeah, well, I mean, and I hate to typecast, but Hans Gruber rocks everything. That's true. Yep, you're right. And you know, even oh my god, um, Tony Shalhoub. <laughs> oh, it's fa- it's fantastic. His character development throughout the movie, his growth. It, it's it's really good, and we we rate our movies by reels, um, so we go up to five reels. And off the top of your head, I'm sure we're all going to rate Galaxy Quest highly because I think we I think it's pretty much agreed this is a movie 
guilty pleasure we all like. Out of five reels, how many would you give Galaxy Quest? Uh, personally, because I'm so biased and I love the movie so much, I watched it, you know, I don't countless times. Probably the only movie I probably watched more was the original Matrix movie and, and, and probably Blade Runner, but I'd say five. Five out of five reels. That's highly recommended. Highly recommended. It's just perfect. Kevin Eastman says, watch Galaxy Quest. <laughs> Absolutely. Excellent. Thank you so much, Kevin. Uh, thank you for going over time and giving us that great story and submitting our pick for our next episode. Um, is there any websites or anything you want to plug before we go for our listeners to jump onto a link and hit you up at? Well, you know, it's just if you put in, um, I have my own personal website, which is, um, you know, www, obviously, uh, Kevin Eastman Studios, with an S, Kevin Eastman Studios.com. And I put up, you know, original art and sketches, and I put my convention schedule and signing and events up there. Um, so if, you know, anybody wants to find out what I'm doing and where I'm going to be signing, because I still think, you know, we, me and my wife have, I think, seven more shows to do this year. Um, and then heavymetal.com is always, um, you know, I'm still, I'm still running pilot in the ship at Heavy Metal Magazine and having, you know, it's one of those jobs that doesn't feel like a job because, you know, I love putting together the magazine and, you know, my team is great and the artists that we get to showcase oftentimes for the first time in the United States is, is just, a, you know, it's a dream job on every level. So I'd say, yeah, Kevin Eastman Studios and HeavyMetal.com would be fantastic. Well, thank you again. And thank you for being in a lot of people's lives for over 30 years and in a big way influencing so many different creative projects out there. Thank you again, Kevin. No, my pleasure. And I have to say just literally if, if not for fans, then I would be pushing a shopping cart somewhere. But so <laughs> I, I appreciate the fans giving me the best job ever. So uh, thank you so much for saying that. Have a great weekend, Kevin. You too, my friend.